We did watch Grease and Grease 2 today together. I've never seen Grease 2. Unpopular opinion. It's good. Listeners, don't come for me. <laughs> I like Grease 2 more than I like the original Grease. I hear that so many times. Because, one, Michelle Pfeiffer is fire in that movie. She, Michelle Pfeiffer Michelle is everything. Michelle Pfeiffer is in that movie? Yes, bitch. Is she the main actress? Yes. She's the main like but, female protagonist. Oh my. I would be down to watch it. Yes. Now. Okay. All and right. then, like, the main male, like, her lover. Her beau. Yeah. Her beau. He is, whew, he is mad foin, let me tell you. Mad foin. <laughs> he cute. <laughs> and he got that British accent going on, so I'm just like, Oh, shit. Hey. All right. I'm down for that. I'm down for a British accent. All, actually, all accents. <laughs> By the way, this is Booked on a Feeling. Oh, hi. Uh, welcome. This welcome. is Booked on a Feeling, where we uh, talk about books and, and how they make us feel. we spoil the shit out of them. Yeah, yes, we spoil we them. Hashtag spoiler alert. Yep. Don't come for us if you didn't think that, or if you thought that we weren't going to talk about everything around these books. So. Oh, yeah. Everything in between those two uh, covers, you know, every page in between. It all matters. Yes. It all matters. My name's Corey. And I'm Kobe. And we're glad to be back. Yes. Yes. All right. So let's go ahead and start off with some icebreakers. This is where we ask each other questions to get to know each other a little bit better and to also let the audience get a little insight into ourselves and our uh, own personal fucked up psyches. So <laughs> Kobe, would you like to go first? Um, I was going to go with what's your favorite movie? Oh, shit. Uh, okay. You know, actually, mine's a little bit different from that. So, okay. so that's fine. So, what's my favorite movie? Yes. Okay. Um, I would say my favorite movie is probably Black Swan. For real? It's one of my favorites. It's a really good movie, though. It is really good. Uh, that or I also do, I do love, um, God. It's, you know, it's so hard to pick a favorite movie because there's just, there's, there's different movies for different moods. So like, for instance, if I'm ever feeling, oh my God, you're going to judge the shit out of me. No, um, judgment if, free zone. <laughs> well, uh, tell the audience that. <laughs> um, if I'm ever feeling down about myself, I watch Never Back Down. I don't What's know if you've one? ever, it's a boxing movie. No, I've never heard of it. It's, it's not a, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not well known for its, you know, like, real girl it's not the best movie out there uh, i fucking love that movie though and it always makes me happy but also re-watching movies um especially those that have a happy ending do uh clinically they do like help you yeah. um uh psychologically speaking so that is one of the favorite movies that i will re-watch uh i love pan's labyrinth Ooh, that's a that. good one. Oh, love Oof. that movie um Oh, um, I love uh, Sunshine. Have you ever heard or seen a, seen that movie? No, I have not. It has uh, Killian Murphy. It has Rose Byrne in it. Really? Yes. It has Chris Evans. I need to watch this. Oh, it's a yes. This sounds so star studded. And, uh, oh, and uh, Pandorum. Since we're on that thread, because we're talking because uh, Sunshine and Pandorum are both sci-fi like oh. outer space thrillers. Oh, oh, okay. God, they're so good. Okay. Anyway, what is your favorite movie? Um. Number one is Oklahoma. 
Where the wind blows sweeping down the plain. I can sing every one of the songs. I can pretty much narrate the whole thing. I love that movie. I watch it multiple times a year. Um, my number two would be The Princess Bride. Okay. Which is cute because like I'm the buttercup to Wesley. Is Wesley Inigo Montoya? No. Wesley I, is Wesley. Wesley is Westly. Oh, Okay. Because in the movie, it's West. Yeah, 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 I know. But I've only, the only part of that movie that I remember besides Buttercup is... Hello, my name is Indigo Montoya. You've killed my my father. father. Prepare to die. Yes, that, exactly. (laughs) That's the only part that I remember. And it's even better because the guy that plays Indigo Montoya is Gideon in Criminal Minds. (laughs) You didn't know that? That's Gideon in Criminal Minds? Oh my God, no, I didn't fucking know that. Jesus. Mind blown. Mind is blown. You're never going to watch Criminal Minds all over the wall. Exactly. (laughs) All right, my turn. Okay, what is your favorite book to movie adaptation? And it's a two-parter. Which book would you wish was adapted? That's a tough question because I'm... I actually, I have a stipulation. You have to have read the book and seen the movie. See, that's the thing. I always do that, and I always fuck myself over. I did that with Shutter Island. I did that with Shutter Island. I read Shutter Island and then watched the movie. I fucking hated the movie. I got up and walked out of The Great Gatsby because I was so livid. Oh, yes. I was infuriated we were in the theater and i got up and walked out on my date leo don't come for us we still love you leo i love you it wasn't (laughs) you it was the the screenwriting i swear because it was just not it was not it chief um i would say okay bud um (coughs) i'm sorry i'm going through puberty um (laughs) voice is cracking all over the place um i guess Harry Potter. Oh, no, don't do that. Really? They were actually pretty good. No, they were great movies, but like the... There's so much depth in the books that is missed out in the movies. Is there a specific one? Mm. Can you say a specific one? Because like I know a lot of people love Prisoner of Azkaban. Prisoner of Azkaban was really good. I think the best one that they did... And they split it into two parts was Deathly Hallows. I think that was the... And there was a lot of stuff in there that I'm glad they didn't sacrifice. Um, They took their time. Yeah, they They took took their their time time. with that one. Um, Another one would be Ender's Game. Oh, that's a great movie. I haven't read the book, though. I was really scared because I love that whole series. I had to read Ender's Game in high school. I ended up reading the the whole series, like, with everybody's different points of view and, like, the future and shit like that. Yeah amazing orson scott card is an amazing author oh yeah please go read him um but they did ender's go game the movie him. go read all the letters written on, on his skin just yes. read him read him <laughs> um i was really scared that they were gonna fuck up the movie they actually did a pretty decent job you know believe it or not um i don't know how to pronounce his name but uh asa butterfield asa butterfield mm-hmm. the main actor mm-hmm. he's in this show on netflix called sex education i saw that did you see sec? You saw the I didn't see. Show? I didn't see the show. I saw the little icon on the screen. It's actually it's it's very realistic and very mm-hmm. true to. I personally feel like it's very true to the teenage kind of um experience. Yeah. 
Uh, it has, of course, a lot of drama involved, but it's not like too over dramatized to where it's like, oh my God, this is fucking Gossip Girl, but just in England. Like it's actually very like, you, you can believe the shit that these kids go through that personally. It's actually very good. Hmm. Yeah. So um, as far as what book I would want to be made into a movie, can I have them remake Angela's Ashes? I don't even know anything about that. What is it's that? It's my favorite book. I have the sequel to the book tattooed on my arm. Frank McCourt is my favorite author besides Anne Rice. Mm-hmm. No, I take it back. Angela's Ashes. Yes, but I would love for The Mummy by Anne Rice to be made into a movie. All right. It's one of my favorite books that she's ever written. The Mummy by Anne Rice. Yes, and it's not. And it's about it's about uh, Ramses the Great. Like he takes an elixir to keep himself immortal, and he's locked in a tomb. And then during the whole nineteen twenties nineteen thirties era, where everyone like went to Egypt and started like digging up Egypt and taking shit home with them. Like, you remember in history class, they talk about, like, people taking mummies from Egypt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It got ransacked. Yeah, it got ransacked. So his sarcophagus was one of the tombs that was ransacked, and he ended up in someone's living room. And he, like, finally got out of his tomb, his sarcophagus, because they took the whole thing with them. And he was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Jesus. Where the hell am I? And he, like, just goes through the whole thing. The the Mummy with Brendan Fraser, but no. No, (laughs) but that is a good movie. (laughs) That is a very good movie. No, this is, like, completely different, but kind of the same. Rachel Weiss? 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 I think so. Yeah? It's either Weiss or Weiss. Weiss. I'm pretty sure it's Weiss, though. I think so. I'm not German. Don't come for me. I don't know. She's great, though. She is. However you pronounce her Mm, name, she's she's an amazing. All right, so um, for me, my favorite book-to-movie adaptation, uh, I have a few. Um, one of them I actually covered last episode, The Help. I fucking, now that I've read the book, I fucking love, I love the they, movie. They did do the movie Just really so well. Oh, good. Oh, God, I can't even get over um, I wish I could say Fried Green Tomatoes, too, but I haven't read the book that that's based on. Um, but I, I love that either. movie. That is a good movie. Such a good movie. Um, the Mist which is a short story by Stephen King that was made into a movie. Very... Is that the one with the with the spider things? Yes. <gasps> that was a book? Yes. It was, <gasps> a, it was a short story by Stephen King. I'm going to have to go read it because so I good. love The Mist. It's, yes. I like... I'm, I don't get scared very easily by scary movies. That's one of them that really I just fucks love, with me. I love the religious fanatic. Marsha Gay Harden. She's mm-hmm. like... She plays a religious fanatic in that movie. Yes. Fucking gold. Um, World War Z. Nothing like the book, but I love the movie with Brad Pitt. I didn't see the movie. I'm gonna have to watch it. World War Z. Have you read the book? No. It's basically just like a, a like a um a com- compilation of interviews with people who survived the zombie war. Huh. But the book is essentially what takes place in the beginning of the zombie war. So it's like not it none of what happens in the book. Or what they talk about in the book is like what's in the movie. Oh. But it's still such a great adaptation. Um, as far as what I would love, literally love to be adapted into a movie, like nothing more. As long as it's done as as long as it's done uh, well, tastelessly, or tastelessly, tastefully. <laughs> um 
The Warded Man by Peter V. Brett. It's one of my favorite mm-hmm. um, book series. Uh, essentially, this guy... Essentially, it, it's a world where demons come out at night. Like, they materialize Ooh. out of the ground at night. And to keep them at bay, humans have learned uh, certain wards that they carve into fence posts and carve into their, their doors and their windows and stuff to keep the, the demons away. And this guy decides to tattoo the wards on himself so he can travel through the night and he can't get hurt by the demons. You know what this sounds like? It's so fucking good. It sounds like Supernatural. It sounds like Supernatural and Shadowhunters like had a baby. Probably both Have you of those. Red City of Bones? Yes. Yeah, City Shadow of Hunter. Ashes is the first City of, one. No, uh, City of Bones is the first one. What, whatever the uh, series is called, you know they made that yeah, into yeah. a CW show. I know. That was I actually like pretty it. decent. I didn't like it. I liked the main character, Jace. I liked his... You liked Jace? I liked that actor. Yeah, him and Clary, I just, they just didn't do it for I me. I didn't like her re- super red hair. They could have done something way more understated. Yeah. No. Anyway, um, we're getting off topic. You should... I know, we've gone way over with these <laughs> questions, but um, you should definitely read The Warded Man by Peter V. Brett because okay. it'll take you an, an hour and it's so fucking good. Oh my God, it's so good. Okay, it's, and then we can petition to have it made into a movie. Oh, well, and then also um, I'll be covering, I'm not going to say the other book trilogy that I would wish to be made into like a, a TV show uh, because I'll be covering one of those in a later episode. So, okay. But yeah. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. So uh, this episode is uh, about Oscar Gold. It's about award winning or Academy Award winning, I should say, books or, or films. Book, book to movies. Yeah. Films that yeah. were adapted from books. So we read the books that these films were based off, and I um I fucked up a little bit. I watched the movie. <laughs> I watched my movie. Kobe, would you like to say what I did wrong? Corey did not watch his movie. <laughs> and I'm upset because I paid $3.99 to rent this fucking movie, and I wish I could get my money back. <laughs> it took me two days to finish it because I had to stop halfway through because I couldn't anymore. So. Oh my god! Was it a was the best picture winner, or was it what was uh, it? It was actually a best adapted screenplay. Oh shit! Okay. It's just it's one of those it's one of those genres that just like it was so boring to me. But I'll get into it when I talk about it. You'll you'll I feel like you'll immediately understand once okay. I tell you the title of my book. Oh shit! Okay, yeah, no, I did not. I did <clears throat> I did not watch mine because uh, I'm the worst. So. <laughs> Uh, but I did enjoy it. I just didn't watch it. <laughs> All right. So uh, to determine who goes first on theirs, we have a coin flip. Alrighty, Corey. Do you want the uh, Kobe or Corey side? Uh, you know, you you choose. Why don't you choose? I'll let you. I don't choose. like choosing. Well, tough shit. Choose. Okay, we'll let the coin choose. Oh, okay, which face? We'll let we'll let fate decide. We'll let fate decide. Okay. Yeah, I'm let sure. Let fate decide. Oh shit. <laughs> it's me. You go first? Yeah. You always go first. What's I know. new? There's I even flipped new. on your face too. I was like trying to rig it. Oh so my shit. <laughs> fucking kidding me. Okay. All right. All right. <clears throat> so um don't come for me, but I did Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> oh I fucking love that movie. I hated that movie. Oh, the movie's so 
good. Ugh, yeah. Okay, I'll get into it. Um, so I did Brokeback Mountain by Annie Prolu, P-R-O-U-L-X. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's actually a short story written in 1997, and I'll get into that stuff in a minute. Um, Annie was born in Norwich, Connecticut, and in 1994, she moved to Saratoga, Wyoming, where she began writing Brokeback. Um, she has three sons and a daughter and is currently living in Washington State. Um, the short story Brokeback Mountain was originally published in The New Yorker in 1997 and won the National Magazine Award for Fiction in 1998. A slightly expanded version of the story was published in... 1999 in a collection of short stories called Close Range Wyoming Stories. The story was also adapted into an opera by the same name and premiered at the Teatro Real in Madrid in January of 2014. Nice. So, and I actually, I actually read some of the other stories because I obviously bought the book. Yeah. Um, and they're all around the same theme. So they're all like love stories, like coming of age stories type yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're all like gruff. Of course. Men on the range yeah, yeah, type cowboy, of shit. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't like you didn't like the I didn't like movie? I didn't like the movie. And I'll get into it. Is it because you see Han- Anne Hathaway's boobs? Oh my god, that was the best part. <laughs> I even told Wes, I was like, you get to see Anne Hathaway's boobs. I They're was so shocked cute. Shocked when I first saw that, I was like, oh my god, she she bare chested it, but that's okay. But no I never, I had never honestly. seen it before until this time. I feel like I feel like actors of any age or sex can do whatever they want, like if yeah, it's for the character. But she so. was cute in that movie. Oh, she's hella cute, always. Um, she doesn't age. I know, right? <laughs> uh, so let's just get into the story. And so I'll uh, talk about the movie like at the end-ish. Um, so the story begins with a flash forward of Ennis Delmar waking up in a trailer after having a dream about Jack Twist. Um, and he's like in a trailer and he's like scratching his belly and he's like getting ready to get kicked out of his trailer then we're transported to the spring of 1963, where N.S. Mar, played by Heath Ledger, R.I.P., yep. and Jack Twist, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, are teenagers born and bred in the opposite corners of Wyoming on poor ranches. Both are well acquainted with a life of hard work and rough living, and both are high school dropouts. Um, Ennis lost both, both of his parents when he was young and grew up in the care of two older siblings. And he is right now in the summer of 1963 engaged to Alma Beers, played by Michelle Williams. Yes. Also another great actress. She's beautiful. Or should I say female actor? I'm never, I'm never. Actress. I, apparently you can't call them actresses. You have to say female actor because actor. Actress is sexist. It is. I don't. I mean, I don't know. the more you know. I didn't know that. I don't. I know. apologize. I've always, I've always said actor or actress, but apparently it's, huh. it's male or female actor. So. I guess that makes more sense. I don't know. The boys, Ennis and Jack, meet in a trailer office of Wyoming's farm and ranch employment. Jack and Ennis sign on to become sheep herder and camp tender, respectively, for a foreman, Joe. Aguire. Okay. I don't know how to pronounce it. Whose livestock spend the summer on Brokeback Mountain. 
Jack has done this once before, but this is Ennis's first time, his first summer doing this. Um, the foreman instructs the herder to sleep with the sheep in a pup tent, armed with, armed but without a fire, to prevent coyotes from killing the animals. Um, and Jack is like really pissed about this later, and Jack complains about having a four-hour commute to get to the herd, and so then they decide to switch roles. Ennis heads up the mountain while Jack prepares the meals in the camp. Yep. And when they're together, they talk, they drink whiskey, and they start to become friends because at first Ennis is real gruff and not very friendly, and Jack is really outgoing and is trying to, like, make friends with him because he's like, we're going to be stuck on this fucking mountain together. Like, let's be friends. For, like, at least two or three months, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's at least be civil. Um... (laughs) The men move the sheep to graze in a farther field, increasing the distance between pasture and base camp. <clears throat> One cold night after much talking and drinking, Ennis decides to remain in base camp rather than trek back to the herd. It's freezing, and Jack tells him to join him in his sleeping roll inside the warm tent. Mm-hmm. In the tent... Oh, go, wow, wow. And this is where it gets from zero to 60 real fucking quick. <laughs> Because it's just all, it's always just under the surface. Yeah. Under In the, the tent, surface. Jack reaches for Ennis's hand. Is fucking fluid, bitch. Yeah. Reaches for Ennis's hand and pulls it to his groin, only to be roughly turned and entered from behind by Ennis. Yep. The first time Ennis has been with a man. In the story, I don't know if I should say this. Just say it. I'll cut it In this, out. In the, Hold on. If, what? Quick pause. <laughs> Listeners, I'll cut it out if it's too. If it's too bad. <laughs> too bad. Go in ahead. the in the story, essentially, it was. <laughs> That's literally the verbiage that she uses, and so I was like reading along, and I was like, "Oh, they're like herding sheep, whatever." And then all of a sudden, like, "Whoa, they're the fu- fu- <laughs> they're fucking each other now! <laughs> what the hell?" <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, they have sex, and um, the sex happens many times after that, but they deny their homosexuality. Uh, they literally say, I ain't no queer. Yeah, I know. It's in the, it's in the movie. It's in the movie, and it's in the, in the story. Yeah. Um, they didn't think anyone would ever know about what happened, but unbeknownst to them, Joan, Joe Aguirre, the foreman, has been watching them through binoculars throughout the job. Oh, shit. Like a fucking peeping Tom. Making sure they're doing their job. But he's watching them fuck instead. Not uh, not sleeping on the job. Not sleeping on each other on the job. (laughs) Um, In August, the sheep get mixed up with a Chilean herd, and Ennis and the Chilean herder struggle to separate them. Yes. In late August, Aguirre calls the men and sheep down from the mountain and frowns as he pays Jack and Ennis, knowing that some of the sheep aren't his. The two men say goodbye, each evasive about his plans for next summer. Jack has a bruised jaw because Ennis had punched him the day before after like an impromptu wrestling match. Mm-hmm. Um, and they part ways as if they don't care. I'm like full of these like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. that happened. Mm-hmm, uh-huh, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. Because <laughs> you watched movie, it. I've seen the movie so many times. I love the movie. <laughs> Is this how you feel? <laughs> When when you do something I know. (laughs) I'm just realizing this has never happened to me before. Pop Carlos in the jaw anytime (laughs) to kiss me. (laughs) Um, However, once Jack is out of sight, Ennis has to pull over because he's sick with with grief. Like, he's literally 
like dry heaving. Um, Ennis follows through with marrying Alma and has two girls, getting work as a wrangler and on a highway crew to support his family. Alma insists that she wants to live in town, but Ennis likes the, Im- the impermanence of their remote apartment. Four years pass, mm-hmm. and Jack sends Ennis a postcard saying he's coming to town, and Ennis replies with his address. When Jack arrives, Ennis runs to greet him. Alma steps outside and sees them kissing in front of their apartment, then quickly goes back inside. She comes out again when the men have separated, and Jack, or I'm sorry, and Ennis introduces Jack to her. The men tell each other about the children they have. Jack is married to a Texas girl uh, named Lou Rain, played mm. by Anne Hathaway, Beautiful. and he has um, a son with her. They go to a motel where they have sex all night, and the next day they reminisce about their time on Brokeback and talk about their feelings. Ennis says that he hasn't slept with other men, and Jack lies and says that he hasn't either. He lies. He lies. Okay. That's new information. I'll get to it. All right. Jack tells Ennis he thinks he saw he thinks Aguirre knew what happened on the mountain. And he tells Ennis that he was surprised by the punch on the last day. Ennis says his brother used to punch him and that he finally punched his brother one day, taking him by surprise. Jack suggests that they set up a ranch together, but Ennis tells Jack about the time his father took him as a child to see the mutilated body of a gay rancher. He says they must endure this separation. A rift starts to grow between Alma and Ennis, and she divorces him when their daughters are nine and seven. She remarries, and at a Thanksgiving dinner, she confronts Ennis about his affair with Jack by saying that she used to tie, because he used to tell her that he and Jack were like going fishing or hunting together, Yeah, and she would tie a note to the end of his, of his fishing rod, and she was like, every time that you came back, I came to see if that note was still there, and we both know that that rod has never seen any fish. Damn. She's like, I fucking know that you've been fucking Jack. I, I know for a fact. And he, Ennis gets so angry and he storms out. He's like, I don't need to, I don't need this. Doesn't like being called queer. Exactly. The two men continue to see each other occasionally, but they never return to Brokeback. They tell each other about their affairs with women. And during one trip, Ennis tells Jack he won't be able to see him until November, although they'd planned to meet in August. Um, while Jack has his wife's money and her inherited business to fall back on, Ennis lives paycheck to paycheck and can't miss work. Jack then admits that he travels to Mexico for sex because Ennis can't give him enough, um, enough of a life. Like, he blatantly tells him, I can't just live on, like, one or two times a year. I need more than that. Um, they argue, but nothing is resolved. And then Jack remembers a time on Brokeback when Ennis simply embraced him and stood and stood by him next to the fire. Yeah. It was like a really sweet thing. Months later, a postcard Ennis has mailed to Jack is returned to him, stamped deceased. Ennis calls Lurine and she confirms and says that Jack had an accent, accident, quote unquote accident. That he was changing a tire when it blew up, sending the rim into his face. Ennis thinks that it was no accident and that men killed him with a tire iron. 
Lurine says Jack wanted had said that he wanted to have his ashes um, spread over a place called Brokeback Mountain, but she didn't know where it was. So she buried half the ashes and gave the rest to his parents. And so Ennis decides to go visit Jack's family in Lightning Flat, Wyoming, to retrieve his ashes. Mm-hmm. Ennis is met by Jack's mother and his disapproving father in their tiny, depressing ranch house. Mr. Twist says Jack had long spoken of coming home to Lightning Flat with Ennis to help run the ranch, but had begun recently talking of bringing home another man, a Texan, instead. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! (laughs) His mother invites Ennis to see Jack's room. In the closet, Ennis discovers an old shirt of Jack's, stained with Ennis' blood, layered over a shirt of Ennis's from their brokeback days. It was the same shirt that he was wearing when he punched him. Yes. Yes. Um, Ennis says that he wants like the ashes so he can spread them over Brokeback, but Jack's father very definitively says, I'm putting my son's ashes in the family plot. That's it. Um, Ennis buys a postcard of Brokeback Mountain and tacks it to his trailer wall, and he hangs the two shirts beneath it on a nail. And... We end the whole story with Ennis starting to have dreams again about Jack and their time together on the mountain. (laughs) I know. So now I'm going to talk about the movie. Okay. Is that okay? I mean, it's fine. I'm not going to talk about my movie. Okay. Well, (laughs) because there was like a lot of court. Yeah. I love this movie. The reason is because when I first watched it, I was just beginning to kind of blossom in that sense Mm -hmm. and kind of find myself and it was it was a a taboo sort of thing for me to watch this movie like i bought it at a um this movie rental place that we had in my podunk little town Mm -hmm. and i i hid it i literally i literally hid it under the entertainment center so that my mother would never see that I had owned this movie and I would watch it and it was my it was my like it was one of those things that it was like yeah yeah so that's that I have a very sentimental attachment to this movie so um well the movie was released in September of 2005 and won the Academy Award for best director best original score and best adapted screenplay at the 78th Academy Awards yes um, the movie had been directed by Ang Lee, who also directed Life of Pi in 2012 and the very not well-received Hulk in 2003. Yes. <laughs> the one with Eric. The one with uh, Eric Bana. Yeah. yeah. Um, the original score was written by Gustavo Santaolala. I can't pronounce it. I'm so sorry, Gustav. I'm so sorry, Gustavo. Um, He also did the score for The Last of Us video game. Oh, I love that game. Last of Us 1 and 2. And did you know that they're coming out with an HBO series? Yes, I did know. Well, he's doing the score for all three. I was rooting for Macy Williams to be cast as a girl, but she was not as far as I'm aware. Damn. Um, He also did the score for Making a Murderer, which is a Netflix TV show. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the screenplay was co-written by Larry McMurtry and Diana Osana, 
Larry McMurtry also wrote the screenplay screenplay for Terms of Endearment in 1983. Um, yeah. So, what was the best worst part of the book? Um, I guess the worst part is just like them having to live in fear. Yeah. Like that. It's just it's just really sad to me that you know that was life back then. I'm really glad that we live now. I'm really glad that. You know, there were people that sacrificed their lives to give, you know, people their freedoms to live how they want to live. Yeah. But it just sucks reading about it, you know, because yeah. it's just like, ugh, I really wish that you could just live your truth. Yep. Um, What did I learn from the book? I didn't really learn nothing. It was just one of those things where it was a story. I read it. It was good. It was all right. I didn't really learn anything. Well, I lied. I learned that they have sheep in Wyoming. I didn't think that, <laughs> I didn't think that was like a thing. You learned that there is a, a name such as Ennis. No, I um. You already knew that that was. I already I didn't know that that was his name, but I know an Ennis in my in my other life, my this outside the of the only, podcast this life. This is the only Ennis that I've ever heard of or known. To be fair. To, to be, be fair, fair, the Ennis that I know, it's his last name. Uh, see, it doesn't count. That doesn't count? Ennis is a good last name, but as a first name, this is the only Ennis I've known. Ah. Uh, yeah. Jack Twist. I love Jack that Twist. name, too. Um, What character did you like the best or least? Um, I more felt bad for the wives because they were beards, essentially. Yeah. Um and the in the movie too, you feel bad for them. Oh yeah. You really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Alma at least like gets to keep she finds like a new husband and she marries him and all that stuff and is happy. I think Lorene is more married to her job. So I don't think she really cares either way. Um so I guess my favorite character would be Jack Twist. Really? He was, he was kinda cool. He was like outgoing and he like I felt bad for him that you know, Ennis didn't really accept him the way that he wanted. But, you know, he's living his life. He was like, I don't know what you want me to do, dude. <laughs> um, and then how does this book compare to the movie? So there was a lot of differences. They did a lot of embellishment, obviously, because it was a two hour, 15 minute movie. Yeah. This is a short story that's barely 30 pages long. So they had to embellish quite a bit. So they embellished like Ennis's relationship with Alma Jr., his oldest daughter, and like all of that stuff. They embellished like Jack's side of the story. And like they have a scene where he's confronting his father-in-law at Thanksgiving dinner. That was not in the story. Um, they also have a lot of embellishment with um, Alma's life. Um, like, you know, in the story that she's a store clerk, but she ends up marrying the store clerk, the store manager. Yeah. And like, they have a whole life and they have a child and all this other stuff. Um, but I mean, it was good. Heath Ledger was, he's an amazing actor. Dynamite. Yeah. He's great. He, Jake I, Gyllenhaal did I couldn't even too. tell that like 
it was one of those things where it's like, oh shit, that was Heath Ledger. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot for a minute that this was Heath Ledger. Yeah. Because he's that great of an actor. It's just overall the 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 acting in the movie, regardless of how it compares to the the book or the original mm-hmm. content, the movie itself is just phenomenal. Yeah. You the know? acting is great. Yeah. Um, so. But yeah, so it was really good. And would I recommend this story? I guess. I mean, if you really like... I want to read it. I didn't actually think that this was a, a adapted work, so I definitely would have would Well, it won it. the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay, so... <laughs> well, I was I was surprised, too, actually. With... I was like, oh, Brokeback Mountain. And I was like, you know, I haven't seen it, and it doesn't seem all too depressing compared Legitimately, to... Legitimately, the fact that you decided to do this and didn't think, like, oh, Corey might do this, like... That I speaks, didn't think that. <laughs> well, exactly. That speaks volumes. Thank you so much. Unlike compared unlike, to my shitbag fiance, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who just thinks, "Oh, it's gay. He must be doing this." Yeah. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, is so it, um, yeah. Go read uh, Annie Pro Prolux. I can't pronounce your name. I'm so sorry, honey. <laughs> <laughs> so is it my turn? Yes. I'm ready. Right. Let me strap in. You're ready. <laughs> Click. Leak. Strapped in. The book I chose uh, actually was written and published in 1965. And the movie came out in 1969 and won the Oscar for Best Picture. So it was the the top slot, you'd say. Um, and it is Midnight Cowboy by James Leo Hurlihy. Hurlihy, I guess I can pronounce that right. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce his last name. We told we chose old books this time. Yeah. So um when wait, when did Brokeback Mountain come out? Nineteen ninety seven. That's nine, twenty years old. Ninety seven though. This came out in nineteen sixty five. They're still old. Sixty five. The nineties. <laughs> I know, that's like practically a century ago. You grew but... up in the nineties. You can't call that old unless you're calling us old. We are old, Corey. God damn it. Okay. Anyway, about my author, so James Leo uh, Herlihy was uh, born in 1927 in Michigan, and uh, after serving in World War II, he studied art, literature, and music at Black Mountain College in North Carolina. Um, A professor once told him that he had no future as a writer, and the disillusioned Herlihy turned his attention to theater, where he found... He found some success. Um, he wrote uh, a work in 1960 called All Fall, All Fall Down, which was largely critically acclaimed. And then afterwards, he wrote in 1965, Midnight Cowboy, uh, which was his last big work. Hmm. Um, and since then, he became a creative writing teacher in um, New York and i believe in arkansas and southern california and then he died in 1993 from an overdose of sleeping medication i know very sad um so james leo hurlihy uh he had wrote midnight cowboy and i'm a midnight cowboy (laughs) and um just a little bit about this book do you know if the starring actors in the movie were anybody famous that I would know? Yes. So, oh, thank you. Thank you for leading me into my okay. next point. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> so the beginning of this book has a foreword 
And uh, I'm just going to read it verbatim. Got it. And it says, um, in some ways, it was unfortunate for author James Leo Herlihy that his novel Midnight Cowboy was adapted into landmark film of the same name starring Dustin Hoffman and John Voight. Although the film, which won several Oscars, including Best Picture, certainly brought the rising author a new level of regard and notice, its almost legendary status in the history of American filmmaking has somewhat overshadowed its literary progenitor. This is especially unfortunate since Herlihy's work is considered by many to be one of the best American novels published since World War II. Damn. Yeah. So, because... Um, I don't know who wrote the foreword. It didn't have a name on it. It was written definitely after James passed away. Uh, but because of the, the movie, um, this, this novel apparently has not received the acclaim it should receive. So are you ready? I'm ready ready? as I'll ever be as you'll ever be. Okay. Yeehaw. All right. Yeehaw. <laughs> I have them in my notes. Yeehaw. That's <laughs> the, the beginning. <laughs> All right. So the book starts with a na- uh, a man named Joe Buck. His name's Joe Buck. The name's um, Buck. Joe Buck. Joe Buck. And uh, he's a new man. Uh, he has a new swagger. He has new clothes. He has a horse hide suitcase. Um, That's awful. <laughs> And he has a new attitude towards himself and life. Um, he's staying in a hotel in Houston. And uh, he gets ready and he does this thing where he struts kind of away from the mirror. And there's like a quick turn to like Ooh. to look at himself in the Ooh, mirror. Boy. And like does like a, like a crooked smile. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, Checking himself out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it basically he's he's getting ready because he's about to leave. Um, now before he leaves Houston, he goes to this diner that he used to be a dishwasher at and, uh, a dishwasher, a dishwasher, because <laughs> we're in Houston. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so he goes there and it's called the sunshine cafeteria and he's expecting like a lot of people to be like, dude, you haven't shown up for a couple days. Where are you at? You know? And he goes into the back and there's this, uh, this black man washing dishes and he's like, Hey. I'm leaving, and uh, the black the black dishwasher's like, okay, fucking K, K, like who cares? <laughs> All right. And so he's like, he's not that he expected it to make a bigger scene, um, but apparently the other workers at that <laughs> at that at that uh, diner didn't care. Um, That's sad. His plan is to go east. Uh, he wants to go to, go to New York because he thinks that Eastern women will pay to have sex with him and he is planning to go to new york because he wants to be a hustler a cowboy hustler hence the name midnight cowboy this was written in the 60s yeah (laughs) oh my god oh my there's some homosexual tones too so just get ready Um, that's quite an aspiration though i'm not gonna lie yeah so he's based uh if i if i'm not mistaken basically it's um uh the the men in New York are not well equipped to handle the uh proclivities of the women there and they're all gay and fags apparently <laughs> according to this book so um, they use the f word like that mm-hmm. damn yeah so um 
So this book, then it goes back and it basically it talks about Joe and it starts from his upbringing. Okay. So Joe Buck was, was raised until about seven years old by his mother and two other women. Um, and in his mind, these three women, they're all blonde. Uh, they're all kind of busty. He kind of just enter in his mind. They're all interchangeable, whether it's his mother or one of the other women, there's just, there's always three. Um, he then stayed after a while, they moved him to his grandmother's and, um, uh, her name was Sally, Sally Buck. And he stayed with her. Now she had many flings throughout his young childhood. She was seeing a lot of different bows. And uh, the the bow that inspired Joe the most was this guy named Woodsy Niles, who taught him um, taught him a lot, uh, taught him how to ride a horse, how to slingshot, uh, taught him how to chew tobacco and smoke cigarettes. And he, this guy Woodsy showed him a special way of holding his Peter so that he could piss an arc higher than his own head. <laughs> and it is because of this guy Woodsy Niles that Joe Buck decided he wanted to be a cowboy because Woodsy had a ranch and he wanted okay. to he aspired to be wow. like Woodsy um, eventually uh, I've Buck, never heard it called a Peter before really? yeah you've never heard a okay but I've never I don't have one so I don't know <laughs> I don't I don't know the history <laughs> it's called a Peter yeah okay. it's been called a Peter so um, eventually Buck, because he's not, he's not too smart, uh, he dropped out of school. And one day before his 17th year, he discovered that he had the body of a man. Uh, he he's went, like, oh, shit. He basically I'm a dude. snuck up on him. He, <laughs> oh, he went skinny dipping and then looked down and saw that he had hair in places he didn't know he had. He and, didn't uh, notice that whole time. And he was starting to fill out. He's he's a, a simple person. He's a pretty he's simple, a simple person. He's a simple man. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um so because like to the to him like the body of the man that he had, he was like one of those cowboys that he aspired to be, but he he was lonely. And uh he used to frequent this movie theater and one night he encountered a 15-year-old named Anastasia Pratt who was known for being a um a bit of a floozy. She was a bit of a... A promiscuous gal, if yes, you will. at 15 years old. Oof. Um, and at the movie theater, he sat next... She Well, they sat next to each other, and she um, started kind of leaning towards him, putting her, you know, hand on his leg. They started kissing, and a group of guys come up behind him, and they're like, oh my God, is that is that Annie... Ch like, Chalkline Annie? Is that her? Like, And uh, they call her Chalkline Annie because basically... The men line up, or the boys line up, Oof. beyond a chalk line to get a turn with her. Oof. So, so that is not a good nickname, Annie. <laughs> yes. So at the movie theater, Joe, because he doesn't know any better, him and the group of boys all go into a storeroom, and oh uh, god, they they gangbang her. Oh Jesus Christ! But he's nice to her when he has his turn. And he asks her if she feels okay. And Ugh. because of that, they start a sort of a sordid love affair. Sordid love affair. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, before her parents, they eventually discover and they send her away. And after that, Buck kind of has a notoriety about him. It's like, oh, he's the man who was having an affair with this, this promiscuous gal. And aside from housework, uh, Buck... Joe Buck keeps seeking, he, he seeks a few sexual companions, 
Uh, one of them happens to be one of the boys that was in that gang that gang banged Annie. And it was the one boy that was nice to him that had apparently approached him and wanted wanted a little something something that uh, Joe something, had something given. On the side. Yeah, that Joe had given Annie, so he uh, gave it to him gladly. That's what I'm saying. There's some homosexual tones. Well, so in this. he's bi, right? Uh, n- yes and no. No, bi I don't curious? think so. Joe Joe Buck's not really bi. He's just he's he's a lover. He's just he's a lover. So okay. anyway, like, uh, so he does. He eventually is enlisted in the military, and um, him and his grandmother Sally Buck they write letters to one another, and eventually. Before he comes back home, his grandmother Sally uh, sadly gets tossed from horseback while she's trying to impress one of her new bows, and she dies. Um, he has a nervous breakdown while he's still in the military, and he is discharged. And uh, he goes back to Albuquerque, because that's where they were living at the time, and he has nothing left. So he decides, you know what? I'm going to move to Houston. So... <laughs> As somebody who's lived in Texas their entire lives, I've Why? not once heard a single person say, you know what? I'm going to move to Houston. He's, he's a simple man, okay? <laughs> he's after simple things in life. So um, one one night in a daze, he wanders into the Sunshine Cafeteria in Houston, and he doesn't know anybody, so he sits at the bar, and he sees his own reflection in a mirrored column. And uh, after seeing a friendly face for the first time, he decides that he wants to keep coming back to this place. That's the saddest shit I've ever so, heard in my life. So he starts coming back to this this cafe because of himself, because of his himself. own fucking reflection. He has a thing with his reflection. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. He's like a a parrot. Yeah. So uh, worried about money, he gets a job there washing dishes. And um, after one such shift, another busboy tells him like you look like a hustler and he's like i don't know what that is like what is a hustler and uh, so the guy kind of mimics like you know bounce wow wow you know cha-ching cha-ching like <laughs> you know making and uh and then walks over to another table and tells like this other group of people like hey like this guy over here like you know and uh so <laughs> so afterwards a quiet handsome and intimidating man named perry comes and sits with joe and for about two weeks, this guy just comes and sits next to Joe, and they really exchange very few words. And he's just like this gray-eyed, kind of a hunk of a man. Uh, and he just, he's not spending... And the whole time I'm reading this, I'm like thinking, okay, so this guy's a pimp. Like, this guy must be a pimp trying to get Joe to, like, join him. Like, because he thinks he's a hustler. Yeah. And um, so, eventually, after two weeks... This small diminutive man in tweed comes in and uh, Perry demands that this man give him money and his car keys. And uh, the man's like, you know, like, what the hell? But he does. And uh, he tells this man that, like, you've been performing poorly. This this small man. He's like, you've been performing poorly. Give me your your money. And uh, he takes the car keys and he takes Joe out of the cafeteria. And uh, Perry tells Joe that they have to get him cooled they got to get him tuned in and joe being a simple person he's like i don't know what that means (laughs) i don't know what that means (laughs) like what does that mean so they go back to joe's hotel and they smoke a couple of them marijuana cigarettes you know so the the marijuana cigarette marijuana's (laughs) and they get high 
And um, Perry asks Joe, like, hey, like, what do you want? And Joe doesn't have an answer. I wouldn't either. Like, yeah. bruh, you brought me here. <laughs> well, I mean, it's Joe's hotel room. And he's like, Perry's asking Joe Buck, like, what do you want? What do you want in life? I can give you anything you want. What do you want? And the only thing Joe can think is like, maybe like a transistor radio. Because <laughs> they don't have, he doesn't have one in his room. And, uh, and eventually, like, Joe, not knowing how to answer, says, like, I feel hopeless. It's really sad. <laughs> and uh, we find out, actually. And um, so Joe, like, kind of freaks out. And this, and this guy, Perry, like, ends up straddling him like on the floor just like sitting on him like getting him to calm down because joe's like freaking out because he's like he just feels so hopeless in his life because he doesn't know what he's doing and uh we end up we end up finding out that perry is an employee of the man in tweed whose name is marvin Hmm. so which is yeah complete role reversal you'd think like oh like he tells him he's performing poorly you'd think that marvin the diminutive man in tweed was like his employee but it's the other way around um but then how can he talk to him like that? Because Marvin apparently, uh, because Perry apparently provides a specialized service in knowing how to read people and knowing what they want. And Marvin likes to be treated like dog shit, apparently. So he's kind of like a dom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, so eventually, because uh, they smoked, so they're hungry, Joe asks, uh, they go to eat. And uh, Joe asks, you know, like, he kind of wants, he wants a woman to bang. He wants to have sex. He wants to have somebody to have sex with. And uh, eventually, uh, you know, Joe's just blustering. And uh, he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm just messing. And, and Perry's like, no, you, you want to have sex with somebody. And um, Joe concedes and they head off. Perry takes him to a whorehouse. <laughs> In Texas. This is in Texas. Uh, and, is uh, it the best little whorehouse in Texas? <laughs> I hope not. God oh, damn God. It. <laughs> Never mind. I thought about that and then I was it's like, wait. The, it's, no, it's, it's awful. Uh, the, the whole thing is awful. So um, basically, Joe is paired off with this girl named Dolores who is unable to speak English. That's the worst name for a whore. And she seems, she seems afraid. Like, she doesn't want to uncover herself... Uh, Joe can kind of see her her fear, and uh, once she like gets naked, he kind of covers her back up, and like in her shock, she starts crying, and uh, they share like a couple intimate moments of like kissing each other's fingertips and stuff, and then he licks her tears off her face. Ugh. <laughs> and uh, they get more comfortable, and eventually they they start the act uh, when Joe realizes that they're being watched. Uh, Perry and the uh, the whorehouse um, quote unquote manager for better terms or whatever are <laughs> the watching. madam the madam yes thank you the, ma- the madam madam uh, barefoot or whatever her name is uh, they they're watching them through like this closet door that leads into a separate room and uh, Joe attacks Perry um, he gets pulled off and uh, while he's in a daze he gets hit in the stomach and then in the head and um, it's a little unclear what happens, but I think he gets raped by this big fat man that is the like bouncer that's there. Okay. Um, yeah, that's the uh inbred son of the madam. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of it's 
This book is a fucking roller coaster. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So all over again, some time. You know, he got raped. He got out. Um. All over again, he feels alone again. But he's um, he's enraged. He's not. He's not happy. Cause I mean, he's at this point. He's just. Uh, I have a quote from the book to kind of sum up how Joe feels at this point. Um, it's the feeling of being a person with no real place in the world, an alien, even under the red, white, and blue of his birth, one who did not belong even in his own neighborhood. So he's, yeah. And I thought that was kind of deep because I was like thinking like, damn, like, damn, son, you were fucking born in the U S and you, you You know, still feel alone. You feel like an alien. Yeah. And, um, so he decides because the madam at this whorehouse had mentioned something about New York and how the women are just asking for it there. So he's like, you know what? Fuck it. So he starts working harder. He goes to the gym um, and he just starts saving up his money. And in the meantime, he just takes to wandering aimlessly throughout the streets of Houston. And uh, a few things stand out to him uh, that he could never forget. And uh, one of them is a marquee movie poster of uh, a wartime movie. Um, another one is a woman at a red light soliciting a cowboy who's standing on the corner. And a third thing is a religious poster with graffiti that says, fuck thee on it. So it's just like three things that just kind of stand out to him in Houston. And I think the one with like the cowboy standing on the corner and the woman in the car kind of soliciting this man, like just kind of like make him think like, oh, this is, this is the life for me. This is where I'm going to head with my life. And, uh, so now we're kind of caught up with the beginning. So he's okay. Yeah. So he's, <laughs> this is the beginning. <laughs> well, no, no. So because at the beginning, like he's like in a hotel room and he's kind of getting oh, ready. He has oh, all new okay. clothes. So this is what happened before that led yes. up. To, okay. Yes. So now uh, he's on a Greyhound bus uh, approaching Manhattan. Uh, he gets settled in a hotel off Times Square, and he marvels at his position. Uh, he finds a <laughs> fucking god damn it. Uh, he finds a postcard. That has the picture of a hotel that his hotel is on, and he locates his window and circles it and marks it like this is me, but he has no one to address it to, so he tears it up and throws it out the window. Burlesque fucking stole it. <laughs> I was just about to say, wasn't that some shit that Christina Aguilera yeah. did in Burlesque? Yes, literally the exact. This bitch. Thing. I'm just kidding, Christina. I love you, girl. No, but, no, not in this. Like, but I, I not love for her this. for other reasons. God, I, I didn't know that was from something. Yeah, so like actually, believe it or not, because she gets robbed later in that movie, I'm thinking, oh, he's definitely going to get robbed later, but he doesn't. But I'm just, you know, whatever. Spoiler There's spoiler a lot warning. of like but I'm similarities like, between burlesque and this story so far. Maybe. I don't know. So, um, yeah, like a small town. like Cher, was this actually mid cowboy, <laughs> but for women? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, one uh okay let's see so uh when it comes time uh joe finds a middle-aged lady walking alone on park avenue uh he follows her which isn't creepy at all that that's not mad sus or anything (laughs) and uh times it to get to the crosswalk at the same time as her uh he thinks that her ankles appear beautiful and rich like money rich. Your ankle? Yeah, what? Her ankles. Her ankles? Yes. He you can that tell her how somebody's. That her ankles look rich. You can tell somebody's wealth by the look of their ankles. <laughs> that don't make no sense. Uh, 
He pretends to ask for directions to the Statue of Liberty, but uh, pretty soon she kind of sees through this facade and like asks if he's ashamed of himself, and then she walks away. <laughs> and uh, he feels a tightening in his chest, and he just he continues to walk, watch her, like and follow her until she goes into a house. Like he's just like, because he just thinks that she's like, I don't know, something about the fact that he couldn't get her like just makes him like attached to her. That's like is, real serial killery. Yeah, it is. Um, he tries again on a robust uh, Jewish woman who has a tiny poodle with her, and uh, he can't help but wonder if she is controlled by a marionette inside of her. Like he he thinks like because of the way she walks and moves, he's like there's a tiny person inside of her controlling her movements. Who is this dude? <laughs> he's simple, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, so. He, he pulls the same thing, like, asking for the Statue of Liberty, like, directions. And uh, she winks at him and walks away, and he follows. And uh, once they're inside her penthouse, they get to business. The business. The business. And um, she, as she's <clears throat> exploring, she makes some phone calls. What? While she's exploring his, his body, <laughs> she makes some phone calls. And um, the rest, and she tells her husband on the phone, like, "Oh, I'll just pass some time, and uh, I'll meet you at midnight." Jesus. <laughs> and and uh, the rest of the evening passes, and Joe uh, eventually he works up the courage to ask her for payment because you know he's trying to be a hustler. And um, before he can ask her, she asks him, "Hey, do you have any taxi fare? Because I didn't get a chance to go to the bank today." And um. And so he's like, well, I was just about to ask you for money. And she's like, she's, she gets indignant and she starts crying into the pillow. And um, when she realizes that he's a hustler and like she just acts like a fucking fool. And uh, Joe ends up giving her $20 of his own. Boy. And this is in 1960s. So like, you know, $20 is a lot. That's a money. lot. Boy. <laughs> and he ends up giving that to she her. She hustled you. She hustled she the hustler. She fucking hustled him yes um so at the bar later he's drowning his sorrows and he meets a uh tiny dirty uh club-footed man named rico rizzo who people uh nicknamed ratso and uh from here on throughout the book he's nicknamed ratso but i'm just gonna keep calling him rico because ratso's sad i mean that's the point that's the point but i'm gonna keep calling him rico um, he tells Rico suave. <laughs> Joe Buck tells Rico about his dilemma, and he's thinking like this guy is streetwise. He's gonna help me figure out how to hustle. And uh, Rico eventually tells him that he needs to find an agent. And there's this guy that he knows named Mister O'Daniel. And uh, so Joe Buck goes with Rico to get this the exact same hotel that Joe Buck is fucking staying in. And Rico uses the hotel phone to call up to the room that this Mr. O'Daniel's in. And he's like, hey, you know, so-and-so's here to see you. He's he's a hustler. He wants to get into the business. He wants, like, he wants to, you know, get into it tonight and make some money. And as payment, Joe gives Rico $20. And uh, Joe goes up to the room. And it turns out that Mr. O'Daniel is an evangelist. And he tries... This he's poor like, boy. He's like, let's get down on our knees and let's pray. And uh, so Joe got hustled out of another twenty dollars. Yes. So uh, Joe leaves, and 
chases the you know down the street trying to look for Rico and he can't find him because you know he's down forty bucks now and yeah night. and uh, he only had like a hundred to spend for his whole time in in, <laughs> in New York and um so he spirals um over the next week he's running out of money uh he takes to walking up and down the streets of Broadway uh listening to his radio his his transistor radio and uh he listens to these talk shows and he joins in on the conversations so like as the the hosts on the talk shows are talking he's like jumping into the conversation that's scary walking up and down broadway <laughs> listening to a radio in the 60s like yeah um eventually he gets evicted from his hotel room and without all of his belongings he doesn't Aww. have any of his belongings um and uh, he starts wandering the subway, and he works up the courage to join other street boys. And um, he comes up on a young adolescent, um, and they go up to a rooftop. Click, click, click. <laughs> I put that in my notes. <laughs> like, down comes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, and uh, when it comes time for payment after this boy has been um, <clears throat> satisfied... Um, the boy had lied about having money, so Joe just wasted Joe. his time. Yeah. Um, now homeless and near broke, uh, Joe falls into a transient life. Uh, he sleeps in movie theaters for like 60 cents a night and on benches, and the only thing he cares about is just staying clean. So he'll go into like washrooms and wash his feet and his face and uh, try to brush his teeth. He keeps That's his, good. keeps his comb and his toothbrush and his sock, you know, things like that. Um on a walkabout through the city, uh, he sees the evangelist O'Daniel, and uh, he's evangelizing a crowd. And um, as he's passing that, he sees none other than Rico Rizzo, mm. Ratso, the swindler. Uh, so he tracks him down to a cafe, and uh, out of guilt, Rico offers Joe a place to stay. And it turns out that Rico... Ratso Rizzo is a squatter. He's um, somebody who finds these evicted uh, homes or whatever, and he, you know, crosses the red tape and he sleeps in these uh, places with no electricity, no running water, no nothing. Like that's where he stays. Um, and uh, Joe eventually follows him, and he immediately falls asleep on a pile of blankets at Rico's place. So Joe decides to stay with Rico, and it's them against the world. Uh, he has to sell his only possession, which is the transistor radio, Aww. for bus fare because Rico Ratso Rizzo uh, has heard through the grapevine that there are parking meters that are easy to bust into in New Jersey. And unfortunately, they get to New Jersey and found, find that the parking meters are not easy to bust into. So they basically wasted their time. And money. And money. And he sold his only possession. Um, uh, uh, Rico tells him that he's the youngest of 13 children to a parent, uh, to a couple of um, Italian immigrants. And by the time he turned 13, his mother was dead and all the other children had left the nest. And uh, by the time he turned 16, his father had died. And uh, when he was young, he had an illness, like pneumonia or something like that, that had caused him to have a deformity in his leg. So he has um, one like kind of club foot. He is obsessed with Florida. He wants to go okay. down to Florida. 
uh, again, no one wants to go to Florida, <laughs> but <laughs> except go for off. Rico, except for Rico. <laughs> go off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, he also tells that he also tells Joe Buck that the cowboy look is almost purely homosexual and even then a special interest. So Joe Buck would have never made a living as a hustler in New York with with the upper society women. He would have never made it. Um, so the weather grows colder and colder eventually, and their situation never improves. Um, they take to, you know, stealing things together, uh, kind of just trying to huddle together, keep warm in this, you know, whatever flat they're in, they're staying in the X flat as they call it. Um, in early December, Joe gets picked by <laughs> a couple of twins, uh, while he's staying and while he's sitting in a diner, um, and they call them, they, uh, call themselves Hansel and Gretel McAlbertson. <laughs> Okay. And they're these blonde-headed kids, and they're, like, all dressed all in black. And they uh, offer him an invitation to a party. And uh, so the invitation says that he's going to be poisoned. What the fuck? <laughs> and it's, like, it's it's a, um, it's, like, an invitation to, like, a, a hell party or something. I can't remember exactly what it said. But anyway, <laughs> uh, he shows it to Rico and they, they go off. They're like, you know, you know, let's go to this party. And Rico is like, uh, Joe is so pleased with himself to be invited to something. He thinks he's so special because he got invited to something. And Rico, who's bitter, is just tells him like, you know what, you're, Joe, you're you're so dumb. You couldn't even, you couldn't even wipe your own ass without me giving you the toilet paper. <laughs> like, you're so dumb. Like, we're going to this, but you're an idiot. And uh, they go to this large, this large um, flat, and they're confronted with an odd assortment of people. There's like a bunch of just weird transient people, either sitting on the floor, standing. Uh, there's an assortment of like a charcuterie kind of like refreshment table and beer and these bathtub canister, you know. And um, there's Hansel and Gretel McAlbertson and an elderly woman standing behind them. And Hansel is playing with a bunch of like these small bottles that have a bunch of pills in them. Um, so Joe goes up to them and Gretel, the girl, gives Joe a bomber, um, which I guess I don't know exactly what is in a bomber. It's, I mean, it's a drug. Okay. I don't <laughs> know what that is either. So Joe, because he's 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 a simpleton, pretty much. He's just like, okay. He's, he's like, all right. Yeah, he just takes it because he doesn't want to seem like he's like a bad you know, guest. So he just takes it. And while he's doing that, um, Rico is at the refreshment table stuffing his pockets with salami. Because <laughs> it's the first time that they've encountered like actual food. Lol. <laughs> and um, Joe is approached by a woman in an orange dress who is just talking and joe doesn't really understand what she's saying um and she's just like can you tell i could tell as soon as i saw you could you tell and uh she eventually finds out that joe is a hustler quote unquote um and that rico is his manager and joe is a stud and she she gets she gets excited she's like "Ooh, like i've never done this before like (laughs) (laughs) cross that off my bucket list exactly and um so joe starts to feel nauseous and uh, the old lady that's with Hansel and Gretel McAlbertson raises her arms and she starts just talking about how like there's no more no more time. And it, it turns out from my understanding, it turns out that this is like a death day party. So like this this lady's about to die. She's about to kick the bucket. And so like everybody's there kind of to celebrate her death. 
and there are cool. people in the crowd who are like giggling and everyone claps and uh Joe gets angry at a passing guy because the guy tells him like oh you're dead now you need to lie down and um they end up getting kicked out cuz Joe's like cuz Joe's disrupting the peace like they're just the peace at the death party <laughs> yeah i guess so okay this was the most confusing part of the book but anyway um the orange dress lady agrees to pay $20 for Joe and uh, she tells Rico, like, you know, beat it. Like, me and Joe are going to go back to my place. We're going to, you know, and uh, Rico hustles down the stairs and he falls down Aww. the stairs because he has a gimp leg. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's he's basically sweating and pale and he's just he just looks bad as shit. And um, he is insistent that he's OK. So they leave. And when they get to uh, this orange dress lady's place joe can't get it up because <gasps> of the bomber probably because of the bomber um she the lady thinks it's comical because his only profession relies on him getting it up i mean it kind of is it funny does, but yeah. like at the same time i feel really bad for him yeah so um they end up they sleep and uh he sleeps off the bomber and when he wakes up he finds himself to be erect um they go to town and they're they're both set free what the fuck does that mean <laughs> that means they orgasm Kobe. oh okay That's okay. <laughs> i've never heard anybody say that before okay <laughs> um so that following morning uh joe takes his money the 20 dollars, and he takes it and he buys uh soup medicine some new underwear and socks for himself and for rico and he decides uh, when he gets there and Rico just is looking like shit. He's like, hey, we're going to go to Florida now. Like That was his first real customer. I'm so proud of him. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so Joe, like he sets out to find a prospective buyer because they need to he needs to get up enough bus fare to make it to Florida. And uh, he finds himself eventually standing next to a red, white and blue man, uh, a man with a red face white hair and a blue overcoat so he calls him a red okay. white and blue man <laughs> all right yeah um the man is eager and at first like is like hey i'll take you to eat joe where do you want to go eat and uh then he's like you know what no we need to go to my hotel to eat because my mother's gonna call so we should go to the hotel so i don't miss her call <laughs> this guy will not shut up um for several hours he just talks joe's ear off they don't get to doing anything. They don't literally this guy's just talking the whole thing through food. Then he talks to his mother on the phone. It's just this guy will not shut up. And um Joe pours this guy's name is Towney, Townsend. Okay. Uh, Towney. And Joe pours him a drink and gets to standing directly in front of this guy with his pelvis at eye level. <laughs> kind of trying to like get like, him into hey. like, hey, like, you know. What do you want me to do? And uh, he asks Townie what he wants. And Townie panics at the obscenity. And he's like, I just want so much to just be to be good for once. So like you need to leave. Like I just want to be good. I just don't I don't want to do anything. So essentially you just wasted my fucking time. Yes. Cool. Yes, exactly. And uh, he gives Joe a uh, St. Christopher medal who is like the saint of all travelers. Before he leaves. <laughs> Because Joe had mentioned that he needed to go to Florida. 
Uh, so Joe gets back to the X flat and Rico is in worse shape than ever. And uh, Joe just makes a snap decision. He's like, you know, we're, we are going to Florida. It's going to happen. Uh, he decides that he's going to rob Townie for the bus fare. So he's going to go back and rob that guy. Uh, he takes Rico to the bus depot and posits him on a bench and wraps him in an Indian blanket, which FYI, if you've ever had an Indian blanket, I fucking love Indian blankets me and my siblings each had our own growing up. They're wonderful. They're, they're a little, they can be a little scratchy, but they're so great. Anyway, um, Joe goes back to the hotel where Townie's at barges in on him and, uh, Townie's and he's like, Hey, I need payment. Like you wasted my time tonight. Like I need payment. And Townie tries to give him $10 and Joe menacingly is like, I'm going to need more than that. And Townie pleads like, I don't have anything more. And eventually Joe hits him, uh, twice (laughs) and, uh, gets into the drawer uh, where Townie's wallet is at, and he gets $120 out of it. He then tears the phone out of the wall, and as Townie is rushing to the door to the hallway to get out, he throws it at Townie and hits him in the in the face, <gasps> and it knocks out Townie's dentures. Uh, he then takes the receiver of the phone and and shoves it in Townie's mouth to keep him from, from screaming. Oh, so my it's, God. It's pretty dark. Um so that night, Joe and Rico board a bus to Miami, and uh, as the trip progresses, Rico keeps getting sicker, and in the early morning of the second day, uh, Joe wakes up to find that Rico has been crying because he peed himself. Oh. Uh, he lost he lost control of his facilities. Uh, Joe finds it kind of funny, though, and he gets Rico to kind of laugh it off, but the laughter wears him out, and he goes to sleep. And Joe decides that in Florida, he's going to start living his life again. He's going to get a daytime job, no more of this nighttime hustling. Uh, He's going to maybe make some friends and meet a nice lady and have his own place. And throughout the drive, you know, uh, Joe gets Rico a new pair of pants because he had peed in the other ones. but And he puts them on him himself because Rico doesn't wake up. And um, on the early morning of Sunday, as they're driving into Florida and passing Daytona, Rico dies. Oh, um, and Joe eventually when he finds out, he tells the bus driver like, Hey, my friend's dead in the back. The bus driver checks like, yep, he's dead. And there's like, well, there's nothing more to do, but just keep going. We have another 40 minutes of travel left. And, um, Joe takes Rico into his arms and holds him more out of just fear for his own life, not knowing what's going to come next. And that's how the book ends. That's so sad. And this one best picture in 1970. Oh my god, I need to watch this movie. Yeah, I haven't seen this movie, so I don't know. But um God, that was a roller coaster, Corey. (laughs) So um best worst part of the book. Honestly, I loved I I loved the parts where Joe Buck got into himself a little bit and got kind of some confidence. But like he was, he was a simpleton. He really was through and through. I yeah. hated, the, I hated he got taken how advantage of people lot. kept taking advantage of him. I hated it so much. Um, and then, uh, as far as like, uh, I had some favorite words. Um, my favorite word to describe the the bouncer at the whorehouse that he went to. Uh, he called him epicene, which is basically meaning having characteristics of both or no sex. So, huh. yeah, so I kind of liked that word. I felt that was fitting for, like, this book. Like, just kind of not having, you know, like, 
lacking maybe lacking that gender identity or something like that yeah like, i just felt like it was fitting um you know and then also chimerical uh which is kind of like based on the word chimera which is um an illusory thing that is hoped for but has never had so it's kind of like a chimerical thought that he had like he was gonna go to new york and and have this grand life as a cowboy hustler and it just never happened for him yeah and um best favorite least favorite characters i hated rico um, rico kind of seemed just like a dickhead the whole he, time yeah he he was a swindler through and through and um joe takes pity on him because of his state because of where rico's at in life but also at the same time like because of rico i feel like i feel like joe buck like he didn't make it because of rico it's rico's fault yeah but I also hated, hated how Joe Buck was just so fucking like, um, he was kind of a pushover throughout the book. He was uh, very like innocent and very just, you know, um, naive, naive. And, Thank yeah. you. He's a very naive person. Like I hated it. So anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. I, um, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't compare it to the movie, but I love John Voight. Dustin Hoffman, eh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big fan of him. Right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't come for me. Uh, I do love John Voight, though. And, um, yeah, but it was, overall, it was a very, it was a very good movie. And um, You mean book? <laughs> sorry. It's a very good book. And I did just, you know, I definitely, um, definitely enjoyed it and uh, i will say uh let me end on a on a note um this is as this is um one of my highlights i highlighted this <laughs> as i was reading the book uh as joe was going into uh new york uh suddenly up ahead was the manhattan skyline buildings like markers in a crowded graveyard joe's hand moved to his crotch and under his breath he said i'm gonna take hold of this thing and i'm gonna swing it like a lasso and i'm gonna rope it in this whole fucking island i want that tattooed on my body somewhere (laughs) 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 oh my gosh that is the best quote ever (laughs) so he's just like you know he had he had me little buddy we're gonna go places yeah he had aspirations but it didn't work so would you recommend this book um I mean, it's, no, probably not. Honestly, you gotta it have was, like that specific, like uh, I can't think of the like words I want to use. Words. That's literally what like, this podcast is based. I know, on. but like, <laughs> you gotta have like some sort of interest in that sort of genre. I think. Same with my book. I mean, I'm all about hustlers. I'm all about. I'm all about you know positive. Um, positive like sexuality i don't know i don't remember what you said uh sex positive i'm all with the i'm all about the sex positiveness of this um i did i so two things you know joe buck was he was not afraid to get down and dirty with some men thinking that it was going to involve payment however he did have a very clear view on how he on on what he thought of homosexuality. He was very much against it. They used slurs, um, which I guess doesn't really make sense to me. But okay, I mean, if if it's not the paying kind, then it's not the right kind, I guess. So 
I I don't know. That was my main that was my main issue, honestly, was just like the the slurs in the in the book. Yeah. Which I mean it was the sixties, so Exactly. It was the sixties. It, it was the time. I don't think if this book was written today it would gain any traction. And I doubt no. if it was made into a Academy Award winning movie, it would have any of that in it. I don't know if the movie does, but yeah. I'm sure it does. I'm but interested that movie to see what also- John Voigt looks like in the nineteen seventy. Like damn anyway uh all right so that's it for this episode unless there's anything else you want to talk about no 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 all right what is uh our next theme our next theme uh we're calling middle child yeah yeah so it's we're gonna be both choosing trilogies and we're gonna do the middle book of the trilogy because we want to be completely confused about everything that's going on. So yes. that's what we do when. Yes. And just like don't don't explain anything that happened thus far. I don't want to know what happened in the, the first book it. or the end book. I'm not going to find out. I'm not even going to read the summaries of what happens in the first or the third book. I just want to read what's in the middle. Yeah. So. Just see how it goes. <laughs> just see how confused I am. This is just gonna be a, a thought experiment for us. This is gonna so. be a shit show. So <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, this is booked on a feeling. Both cast. Tune in uh, next time. Bye. Bye. Catch us later. Did you say catch you later? I catch you later. <laughs> catch us later. Bye. Bye.